every week we have folks that fill out prayer cards and, and if you're here and you have a need and you didn't fill out a card that's okay uh, just slip up your hand and we're going to pray for all the needs in this church Lord you know every need and we put our faith and trust and hope in you so I pray Father you would meet the needs on these cards I pray that you would meet the needs in this room the needs of those joining us online I pray that you would provide supernaturally for those that need provision I pray that you would heal bodies that are sick I pray, Lord, that you, would that you would restore broken relationships. Father, bring us back to you. I pray that you would restore children to their parents and parents to their children. We put our faith and trust in you, Lord. Now I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would change our hearts and start with mine. We don't want to leave here the same way we got here. So make us more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Aren't you glad already that you came to church today? Like, wasn't that incredible? Because an incredible job. So we're continuing the series that we've been in, Anonymous, where we're looking at Bible characters who we don't know their names. And, and uh, this, is, this is Emperor Frederick. He's a Roman emperor, lived in the, the year 1300, somewhere around there. And uh, Frederick was crazy. And I try not to use that word crazy too much, but my boy here was crazy. So... Uh, he would do these human experiments that today would never be allowed. You can never do anything like this. But one of the things he did is he wanted to see what a human soul looked like. So what he did is he got one of his enemies, he put him in a wooden box, and he drilled a hole in it. And then he just sat there and waited for the guy to die. And when the guy finally died of starvation or dehydration, he waited, and as the guy died, he watched to see if he could see the guy's soul. Did I tell you he was crazy? So his, his most famous... Uh, experiment that he performed he wanted to see if he could discover the language that was spoken in the Garden of Eden the original language and so he had this idea uh, did I tell you he was crazy? okay so he took five babies from their mothers all right and he assigned them some nurses and these nurses jobs were to, to feed the babies and change them and keep them clean but they couldn't hold them they couldn't make eye contact with them and they couldn't talk to them and what he was hoping was these five babies would grow up and they would eventually start communicating with each other and then they would, they would reveal to him this uh, lost language that was from the Garden of Eden. He discovered something different. What he discovered was we need human touch and human interaction to grow and to thrive. And so what they found was every one of those babies died because they were deprived of human touch and human interaction. We need each other. Look at your neighbor and tell... Now, wait, wait, wait. Let me just start off. If you came with that person and your friends, look at your neighbor and tell them, you need me. Go ahead. I'm not trying to get some rando looking at, hey, you need me. <laughs> no, she doesn't, brother. <laughs> All right, anyway. Um, sorry. It's so important that we have human touch and human interaction that if we don't have it, a condition develops that's called deprivation dwarfism. And we see this happening in like third world, uh, third world orphanages where there's just not enough help to go around, just not enough people to hold the babies. What happens is the babies, their growth is actually stunted, they're developmentally delayed, they withdraw socially. They're actually smaller people because they don't have enough human touch and interaction. We need human touch and human interaction. I read a few years ago that if someone has a closed wound on their body, 
that if another person comes and puts their hand on that wound, uh, skin to skin, that what will happen is the body will start sending white blood cells to that area to try and heal the wound because healing comes through human touch, through human interaction. In the Garden of Eden, every time God created something or He did something, He made something, He would say, it is good, it is good. The first time we see God say, this is not good, was this. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. In other words, we need each other. We need human touch and human interaction. Every one of us, we need, uh, we have three basic needs. We need something to do with our lives, something meaningful. We need something to look forward to in our lives. And we need someone to love. Whether that person is, is a husband or a wife, whether it's kids, maybe it's parents or just good friends, we need some way to funnel our love. If we don't, we don't come out quite right because we're designed to give and receive love. We're designed to touch each other in good, normal, positive, healthy ways. All right? Let me put that in like parentheses, okay? Um, and this whole idea of touching is a big deal in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, if you touched a dead body, if you touched someone who was sick, if you touched a dead animal, if you touched a sick animal, if you touched anything with mold in it, if you touched a sick person, you were considered unclean. And so you couldn't go to church and you couldn't touch the priest because you had to have, they went through this whole system of cleansing themselves because touching was such a big deal. By the way, if you're touching dead people, I'm not sure I want you touching me either, all right? Just, let's just put that out there, okay? So that's this system that they had in the Old Testament. Touching was a big deal. But then Jesus shows up and he says, enough of this. I'm going down there. I'm going to be born as a human, as a, as a man. I'm going to live with my people so I can do life with them and so I can touch them. He want, he's the God that wants to touch his people. He's the king that wants to engage with his people. And so Jesus is now on earth and he's this religious leader. He's kind of like a pastor going around teaching people. And he starts doing stuff that nobody else was doing. Matthew chapter 8, a man with leprosy, so this guy's sick, came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. He starts touching. Now, this was illegal for this man to approach Jesus, and it was illegal for Jesus to touch this man. But touching was so important, Jesus reached out and touched this guy who probably hadn't been touched by another human being in years, right? So touching, again, it's a big deal. In Luke chapter 7, we see him do it again. He's walking into town, and a funeral happens to be passing by. By the way, Jesus never went to a funeral where he didn't raise a person from the dead. Interesting side note, okay? And so Jesus is walking into town, and they're carrying what's called a funeral buyer, which is like a stretcher with a dead body on it. This is what happens. Then Jesus went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The young man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. He starts touching people that nobody wants to touch. He's not supposed to do that, but he's the touchable God. He's the king that wants to connect with his people. So with that picture in mind of God, the God that wants to touch his people, Let's look at our character today, our anonymous character. We're going to talk about the woman with the issue of blood. She's another nameless character. We don't know her name, but we know her problem. We don't know her name, but we know her issue. Uh, 
Sometimes we name people or we give people titles based on their problem, not their name. And you probably saw this growing up, especially if you're Hispanic. When I was growing up, uh, there was a lady that would go around town. Nobody knew her name. I didn't know her name. Uh, but everyone called her La Pelona because she didn't have any hair. And so me and my friends, little kids, you know, say, hey, look, there's La Pelona. And I wonder sometimes if that's why God... Anyway, so... Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, but we do that, right? Have, have you ever heard, like, like I grew up with a guy, I didn't, I didn't know his name, I still don't know his name, but everybody, everybody called him Gordo. Like, that was just his name. His name's Gordo, right? Like, chubby or fat, right? Has anybody ever been around, like, people like, it's hurtful. Hispanics come up with the meanest nicknames ever, right? This lady, we don't know her name, but we know her issue. She had an issue of blood, and her story is intertwined with another person's story whose name we do know. His name is Jairus. Now, you might not know this lady, you might not know her story, but some of you in this room know her pain. If you've ever felt alone, if you've ever felt cut off, if you've ever felt pushed away by other people, you know what it was like to be this lady. So we, we meet her and we meet Jairus in the same chapter. This is what happens. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's a man of influence. He's used to making things happen. When he says something, things happen. When he tells people to do things, they do them. And so Jairus has run into a problem that he can't fix. His child is sick. And if you've ever had a sick child, you know how desperate it feels because you can't do anything about it. When our, our son Josiah was about three years old, he got the croup. And uh, it's like kind of like a cough that settles in your, in your chest. And it was closing his, his airway. And so we rushed him to the hospital. I parked right in front of the doors. The security guy comes out and he's like, sir, you cannot park there. And I was like, bro, get out of my way. You know what I mean? I'm holding my son. I run into the ER and I'm yelling, somebody has to help my son because he could barely breathe. Have you ever felt desperate like that as a parent where you don't know what to do, so you just, I, I, got, I go, got to go get some help? That's what Jairus is doing. His daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, his baby girl is dying. And I know she's 12. I know you're, I mean, she's not a baby girl to you. But if you have a daughter, then you know she's always your baby girl. My daughter, my baby girl is grown and she has two kids of her own. She's still my baby girl. I still want to protect her. I still see her as my daughter. But look what Jairus does. He runs to Jesus. He doesn't stop and he doesn't throw up his hands and say, well, there's nothing we can do. There's no hope. Um, this must be God's plan. He doesn't do that. He says, we need to get to Jesus. Some of you have been trying to solve a problem that's not your problem to solve that you're incapable of solving and you're unable to solve and you're never meant to solve it. This is a problem where you need to just get to Jesus. That's the solution. He's the answer. So they get to Jesus. Jairus does this. He begs him, please come to my house. Jesus agrees and this is what happens. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So there's all these people pushing in that Jesus could barely move. 
So could you imagine what Jairus is thinking right now? Jesus agreed to come to his house, and Jairus is like, hurry, we got to go. My little girl is sick. We've got to get there. And sometimes we're so concerned about getting there that we forget about what's happening here. We don't look at here because we're, used to, we're so focused on being there. And we, we do that today, too. We kind of live in the future. We live in this day called someday, right? Someday, when I graduate, life's going to be so easy. Someday, when we have kids, then life's going to be good. When, when, we, when the kids graduate, then life's going to be good. I remember when my youngest son learned to put on his own shoes. I felt like I'd been paroled from prison. Like, get on your shoes, bud. He put them on. All right, let's go. I didn't have to get down. They were on the wrong feet. I didn't care. He had small feet. He was fine. He turned out fine. But we live in this place that once the kids, once they, you know, once they go to school, when the kids, then things are going to be good. When we get this bill paid off, then things are going to be really great. When we buy a house, then things are, when we sell the house, then things, when we get the basement finished, then things are going to be so good, right? Has anyone ever told themselves, after this week, then things are really going to settle down? Have you ever said that to your, like, your, and you both know you're lying, right? <laughs> after this, man, after this crazy month is over, man, things are really going to settle. And you know you're lying because you're the one putting all that stuff on your calendar, right? We do that, right? We, but we live in this someday that the single people say, man, someday when I get married, then things are going to be great. The married people are like, you know, when I get rid of you know who, then things are really going to be like. We get so focused living there that we forget about what's happening here. Kurt Vonnegut said, enjoy the little things in life because one day you'll look back and realize they were the big things. If I could have any one little thing back, I'd give anything to have a cup of coffee with my grandfather. Can't do that, he's passed. But I look back and I realize that would have been the big thing, right? We get so focused on there, and, and Jairus is trying to get Jesus there. It's understandable. Maybe you're focused on getting there. You're so focused on getting there that you're missing the lessons that are happening along the way. Some of the greatest lessons are in the journey, they're in the process, the lessons we learn along the way. Miley Cyrus, the great American philosopher, Miley Cyrus, she said, it's the climb, right? You remember that? It's the climb. Maybe, just maybe, God is delaying the answer to your prayers so you can learn some lessons in the process. That was good, Angel. You should say that again. Okay, I will. Maybe God is delaying the answer to your prayer because He wants you to learn some lessons along the way through the process. Look at your neighbor and say, He's talking to you. Go ahead. So Jairus is trying to get Jesus to go there, and I would be too. My little, my baby girl was dying. I'd be wanting him to do that too. But look what happens along the way. This is where we meet our character today. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She, she, she'd been bleeding. She had a feminine problem, and she wouldn't stop bleeding. She's desperate. Look what the King James Version says. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. She had tried 
everything. She had spent all her money. Eat this herb. Try this tea. Use this ointment. Let's do this procedure. Have you tried this diet? Maybe we'll try this operation. And nothing is working. And it's getting desperate. And she's tired. She's been doing it for 12 years. When I, when I had COVID, maybe, maybe you're like me. Usually when I get sick, like I get sick, I'm sick for a day. And then the second day, I feel good enough to go to work. I probably shouldn't, but I push it. By the third day, I'm kind of back to normal. Does anybody else kind of roll that way when you're sick? You just kind of push, 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 and then three of us, the rest of you, or what? You're like, I listen to my doctor. Okay, that's it's great. I'm happy. I'm proud of you. But when I had COVID, I'm used to being sick like a day, right? I get sick. I had COVID. I remember waking up on the fifth day, and I felt just as bad as the first day. And a depression set over me. And I thought, am I ever going to get better? Have you ever felt like that? Like, am I, is this ever going to go? Is this my life now? You know what I mean? Like, is this is, this is just how I'm going to live? I'm never going to smell or taste anything again? Like, if there's one awful thing you could do to me, take away, you know, food like that, <laughs> please know anything but that, right? But if you've ever been sick for a week, it's a challenge. If you've ever dealt with something for a month, it's rough. But if you fight something for a year, it'll push you to the limits. This lady's been dealing with this now for 12 years. And I bet in the beginning she had some relational support, she had some people that were helping her, she had financial means, uh, maybe she had some hope she could fight, but after 12 years, she's tired, she's desperate, and she's alone. Remember what I said about touching the priest? She was unclean. So that means it would be illegal for her to touch anyone or for anyone to touch her. And so for 12 years, her kids can't hug her. 12 years now, her grandkids couldn't sit on her lap. For 12 years, her husband couldn't wrap his arms around her and tell her it was going to be okay. It's illegal for her to do any of those things. She's living in an invisible prison, cut off, alone, lonely in a crowded room. And it's one thing to be, to be separated because, because you have something physically happening. But we can be separated and cut off too by a lot of different things. Anxiety will separate you and cut you off from people. Depression will separate you and cut you off. An addiction will separate you and cut you off. A problem with anger, where you explode all the time, well, people will start to separate and distance themselves from you. So she's alone. She can't go to church. She can't be around other people. There's no podcasts. There's no online sermons. Nobody is encouraging this lady. So look what she does. Matthew tells us, she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Sometimes you got to be your own hype guy. You, know, you got to be Chuck D and Flavor Flav. You know what I mean? You got to be your own DJ Khaled. You got to just hype yourself up. You just got to be the one encouraging yourself. If no one's encouraging you, do what she did. Encourage yourself. So a year and a half ago or so, I ran a, uh, a half marathon. It's 13 miles. Someone told me, don't rob yourself, uh, don't shortchange yourself, 13.1 miles, okay? Don't take that 1.1 away from me, right? And I know some of you are looking at me right now thinking there's no way. I promise I did it. There's people here that were with me. Okay, anyway, and if you're thinking that, you're mama, all right? So, so I started training for this thing, I'm training and training. And, you know, once you get, like, into a five-mile run, if you're a runner, and you've never been a runner, but you're a runner now, and you're fat your whole life, and anyway, and so I was not, like, I did, 
people say, I hit this runner's high, I hit all runner's low. You know what I mean? Like, I hated it, never had fun, and I'd be out there, and, you know, I'd be running seven, eight miles, my legs are burning, my feet are hurting, my lungs are burning, I'm in a bad mood, and I remember I would start saying to myself, you're not exhausted, you're just uncomfortable. And I would say that, and then I'd argue, no, I'm exhausted. No, you're not. You're not exhausted, you're just uncomfortable. You're not exhausted, you're just uncomfortable. Did you know that the number one voice that you believe is yours? Did you know that? So when you dog yourself and, and knock yourself down, you believe those things you're telling yourself more than you believe anything anyone else is saying. So sometimes you have to encourage yourself. I would start saying, I feel good. I would say it out loud. And I'd say it loud because I had Air, my AirPods in, and so I had to say it real loud for myself to hear me. I could imagine people watching this guy who looked like he had been hit by a car, barely running, and yeah, I feel good, I feel good. Like, I would say that, I feel good, I feel good. And then I'd be like, you know what? I do feel good, I do feel good, I feel good, I feel good. Eventually, I ran 13.1 miles encouraging myself. Sometimes, you've gotta look in the mirror and say, if no one else has encouraged me, I feel good, I can do this. If only I touch his cloak, I'll be healed. If I can touch him, everything's gonna be better. If I can touch him, this whole nightmare is gonna be over. If I touch him, my kids, I can hold my kids again. If I touch him, I can go home and wrap my arms around my husband. If only I can touch him, touching him would be illegal. But she was desperate. So this is what she did. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. It's interesting that she came up behind him. God literally has his back towards her. And he's moving away from her. Have you ever felt like God had his back towards you and he's moving away from you? Why is this happening? Why don't I feel God? Why don't I, why am I not feeling his presence? God is, now, most of the miracles Jesus performed, he went looking for the person. But that's not what happened here. She went looking for him. If she would have stayed home, she'd still be bleeding. She would have still kept bleeding. Instead, she says, if I touch him, if I can get to him, if I can find him, I'm going to do what nobody else like me has ever done. I'm going to be healed. I think sometimes we're too passive with our prayers. God, if it's your will, or whatever God wants, or whatever, she didn't do that. She said, I'm going after him. I'm going to pursue him. I really believe that God has moved by our desperate actions. Sometimes there, there's something about the human spirit, man. Like the human spirit is incredible. If you've ever been around someone near the end of their lives, and we've seen this happen several times, and, and the doctors are like, you know, she hasn't, she hasn't eaten in days, she hasn't had water in days, we don't know why she's still hanging on. And then, and then Aunt Edna comes from California and walks in the room and tells her, it's okay, you can go. And a few minutes later, she's gone. The human spirit is strong. I, I was having uh, lunch with a guy once. We stayed at his house. Me and Benji, our worship leader, we were in California, stayed at this guy's house. We were uh, ministering at this church. And the guy had just lost his mom. So he's telling us this story. He said, yeah, I was taking care of my mom, and she was up in age. And, and so one morning, she got up, and she said, son, I want to I get out of bed. Take me to the living room. He said, okay. So he took her into the living room, and... And she says, I want you to help me with my makeup. You could imagine what that makeup must have looked like, right? Her son helping her, like, put on, like, <laughs> fix my hair. 
And then she says, I want to call, she, she called his siblings. And the first one she called, she says, hey, I just want you to know that there's an angel at the door and he's coming for me. I'm going to be with the Lord today. I'm going to tell you, bye, I love you. Then she called his next sibling and he's freaking out. He's like, no, wait, mom's losing it. You know what I mean? Like mom's, come on, mom, right? She does this and then she tells him, I love you, I miss you, you know, all that, bye. She says, open the door. He opens the door, and she passed. There's something about the human spirit, but when you combine that with the Holy Spirit, man, you don't know what you're capable of until you get into that zone where this lady is. She comes up behind him, she touched the edge of her cloak, and immediately her bleeding stops. Look what Jesus does. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, I love Peter because he's like in charge of PR. He's like, well, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. It's kind of a silly question, Jesus. You're losing some credibility here with the people. Like, it's not a great question. I mean, there's a lot of people pressing. That question is a condemnation of every single person in that crowd. Because they were all touching him, but no one was accessing his power like this lady was. None of them believed in him like she did. But Jesus said, someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. These people are all around him and, and they're all in his presence, but nobody is touching him. The reason we started this church is so that you could touch Jesus. Because if I could get you to touch him, everything will change. And I don't think Jesus is upset. I think he's happy. He says, finally, somebody gets it. Someone understands who I am. Someone is accessing my power. Now, what she touched, one of the gospels tells us, she says, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, what she's referring to, is, is one of these. So this is called a talit. And uh, they're usually um, longer than this, but this was the, the only one that I could get from Amazon in one day. So this is what we're using, okay? And rabbis would wear these. And um, it signified that you were going to pray. And in the book of Numbers, God tells his people, he says, hey, I want you to put tassels on the four corners of your garments to remind you of our commandments and of the covenant that I've made with you. And so what this was, was back during those times when God commanded this, there was what was called the tent of meeting. And it was like this tent where people would go, and that's where God's presence was. So there was this experience you could have with God in the tent of meeting. But it was only one person, one day a year, and it was a high priest. Now, God is inviting them to all wear these things. And so Jesus would wear one of these. And when they pray, if you, if you look at uh, pictures of the nation of Israel today, at the Wailing Wall, you'll see people standing at the wailing wall covering their heads and praying just like this have you ever seen those kind of pictures what they're doing what this represents is they have their own private tent of meeting so they're having their own one-on-one -on -one relationship time with god his presence is underneath the tent does that make sense so when this lady walks up and touches jesus garment she's touching the representation of the presence of god now, think about this. Like I said, this is, uh, was 29 bucks on Amazon. I used to have another one, and it disappeared. So if you have it, uh, you can keep it. Anyway, um, his would have been longer. And so it was common for the tassels to drag in the dirt. It was very common. They, were, they would get dirty, right? They'd be dragging. This lady, that's what she touches. The lowest, dirtiest part of the presence of Jesus is enough to completely change her life. God's not looking for perfection from you. 
He just wants you in desperation to admit you need him and reach out and touch him. Now remember, Jesus says, someone touch me. Her touching him was illegal, remember that? So she has a decision. Could you imagine her now? Like, ooh, oh my God, I mean, you're God. I mean, Jesus, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, you know. I was just like, I don't know, how would you, I don't know. Anyway, look what happens. Then the woman, seeing she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him, how she'd been instantly healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Isn't that an interesting statement? He didn't say, I healed you, did he? He says, your faith, by you reaching out and touching me, has healed you. Now go in peace. What an understatement. After 12 years, this lady, could you imagine how she slept that night? It's over. 12 years, it's over. I bet she ran to her kids and hugged them and cried. It's over. Her husband, it's over. She could go to church. It's over. She could see her friends. She could see her family. It's over. If I was ever to pray anything for you, I would pray for peace in your life. And I would pray that you would touch Jesus. He'll give you peace. If you touch Jesus, he'll calm the storm. If you'll touch Jesus, he'll calm the storm inside your heart. If you touch Jesus, he's the answer. If you touch Jesus, your suffering is over. I'll finish Jairus' story later, but right now, I want to pray with us. In the last month, uh, I've performed five funerals. And the oldest, the oldest funeral, the person who died, the oldest one, was 38 years old. Every one of them was unexpected. 38, 25, 19, 12, and I did one on Thursday that was two days old. Every family is completely devastated by this. It's not supposed to be this way. And here we found ourselves five times. If I could tell you anything, I'll tell you what I told them. Touch Jesus. Just, he's there. He's, the Bible says that God draws near to the brokenhearted. He's close. He's not walking away from you. He's within an arm's reach. All you've got to do is reach out and just in desperation, touch just the lowest part of his garment. He's there. He's ready. He wants us to do that. Let's pray. Father. There are people in this room, there are people online who need to touch you. We need a miracle. And you know, God, what's going on in every situation even better than we do. So I pray, Lord, that for those that are sick, we're going to reach out. Lord, we are touching you. God, would you heal those that are sick? I pray for, for Alan, God, who's, who's having heart stuff. I pray, Lord, that as we reach out and touch you, that you would do a miracle in his body. I pray, Lord, for people with relationship issues, God, who, who their broken relationships or damaged relationships. I pray, Lord, that we would reach out and touch you and that you would do a miracle in reconciliation. Those of us that are worried about our kids, our kids are going down a, a bad path, I pray that we would touch you. You would show us what to do, God, and you would do a miracle in those kids. Those that are having a financial crisis, Lord, I pray that as we touch you, you would be the God that provides. You would be the God that heals. You would be the God that restores. We put our faith and trust in you, Lord, knowing that if we just touch you, you'll change everything. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's give Pastor Angel a round of applause. As Angel was praying, you know, it, it reminds us, you know, it, I love what he said in the part where Jesus literally has his back to her. He's, he's walking away from her. And if that's you today, if you feel like, you feel like God's turned his back and he's moving away from you, and there's things in your life that are separating you from his love, from his cloak, um, the whole reason that Mosaic Church exists is to take people who are far from that touching God connect them through life in Jesus Christ. And so we never like to close a service without giving that opportunity. And so we're not gonna ask you to come up to the front or embarrass you. I just ask that every eye is closed, every head is bowed, and maybe just repeat this very simple prayer after me. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the gift you've given me. Your son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for my sins, who took my blame and my shame and died for me. Lord, I accept that gift I make you Lord of my life. I make you number one in everything I do. In your name I pray, amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, I wanna welcome you home and uh, we wanna uh, help you in your journey. So um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, we actually have, you can scan this QR code and go down to the new believer section, but there's also a new way you can connect with us. Uh, you can actually text welcome to 970-478-8898. So if that's you, um, you can go to our website, you can do that, but this is really super simple. So pull out your phone, um, send a welcome to the number that you see there on the screen. We'll leave that up for just a second for you to do that. We're gonna text you every single day for the next 30 days at 5 a.m. to wake you up with a Bible. No, I'm kidding, we're not gonna do that. Um, but what we are gonna do is just connect you here at Mosaic. We wanna help you along your journey. And one of the things that we know is that um, when someone visits a place for the first time, it's, it's hard to feel connected, right? It's, but it's also really easy to feel anonymous. So we don't want you to feel anonymous. We wanna connect with you on a personal level. We'll shoot you a text message about some things happening, who you can connect with where, and uh, we'll even send you a reminder to make sure you come back next week because we wanna see you continue to grow in your faith and in your walk with Jesus, okay? So go ahead and text that. And uh, we have a couple of just quick announcements, real quick. Um, so I think 45 minutes I have left, Ben. Yeah. Um, just real quick, if it is your first time visiting, um, we're about to take up in our tithe and our offering, but before we do that, um, for those who have, um, you've been, maybe you're coming for a little while, or if it is your first time, um, we have Discover Mosaic, which is June 4th at 5 p.m. We're even gonna feed you, okay? The food's pretty good. Um, I think we get like hot dogs, no, I'm kidding. But we get you good food, right? So you have, we'll feed you. Um, June 4th, 5 p.m., we will um, just talk about who we are here at Mosaic, what our vision is for the church, how we became to be, what the structure of everything looks like with our elders and our overseers and all that. Um, so if, if you're still, if you've been coming for a little bit and you're still kind of wondering if you want to make this your home church, it's an incredible way to figure out, yes, this is where I belong. And we'll even give you some tools to do that, uh, to serve as well. Um, other thing. Um, uh, is our tithe and our offering. So if it is your first time, we're not asking you to give, but for those who call Mosaic Church your home, we ask that you just continue to be faithful in that giving. Four ways that you can give. Um, you can give online, greeleymosaic.com, text any amount to 84321, or you can give online with the Church Center app, or you can walk straight out those doors where that giant steel cross is, and you can get an envelope and you can put some cash or check in there if you'd like. So we're gonna pray over our tithes and our offering, and then we'll dismiss. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, and all of your provision in our lives, Lord. 
We give to you with a full and a joyful and a generous heart this morning, Lord, knowing that you're gonna use this to multiply your kingdom and have an impact in a spiritual climate here in Northern Colorado and beyond and everything that you do, Lord. Lord, we give to you fully and joyfully this tithe, this offering, Father. In your name we pray, amen. Guys, you may have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Go Nuggets, and if you need some extra prayer, you need to connect. We have some folks up here that we want to pray with you.